Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by the super cool, customized camper van company, Dream Drive. Spring is coming. Why not rent a camper van and explore more of Japan in comfort and style? Now in Zen is also sponsored by the Gugu Mattress Company. Super comfortable and very affordable. Nothing better than a great night's sleep with a Gugu Mattress. Discount codes available later in the podcast. Hello, everyone. This episode, we learn how to become a better public speaker, more effective presenter, and the formula for influential storytelling with the president of Dale Carnegie Japan, Dr. Greg Story. Greg is also the best selling author of two books Japan Sales Mastery and Japan Business Mastery. So, we discuss successful sales techniques, including how the sales process will change post COVID. Very interesting. In addition, Greg has not one, not two, but six different podcasts. They are focused on leadership, presenting, and well, four other topics. Which begs the question can there be such a thing as too much content? You will hear his answer. Finally, Greg, a sixth degree black belt in karate, goes deep and explains how karate changed his life and how he applies these lessons to his personal and professional actions every day. This episode is chock full of tips, insights, and advice to improve your professional life. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Dr. Greg Story. Greg Story, welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. We finally got you on. I am so happy to be here, being a big fan, a big fan of the Zen and Now. And uh, I, I liked it when you had it before, is the beer and, what was it, beer and business, was it? <laughs> Dude, you got both of them backwards. Right? It's okay. Now and Zen. Oh, sorry. And the other one was business and beers. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm dyslexic. Greg, cheers. 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 Thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. Very civilized. No beers in my podcast, unfortunately. Oh yeah, well, not well, yet. Anyway, yeah, you might. After have to this, that. I might have to step it up a bit. There you go. There's so much to unpack with you. I don't even know where to get started. You have more than 35 years experience in Japan. This year makes it the big three six thirty six. Senpai. Only just because you've been here for a long time. I have. You are the president of Dale Carnegie Japan. So many think of you as the public speaking guy, mm -hmm. but you also teach leadership, teach sales, you teach presentations, you have written and narrated two books, you have five podcasts. Six. Six, six podcasts. a week. Six a week. Wow. With a combined episode total of over a thousand. I think it's 1100 plus now. Okay. You are on numerous boards and you also write for various publications. Mm -hmm. And that is just the professional side. Wow. As I mentioned, you are the president of Dale Carnegie Japan. Why are public speaking skills so important in business? If you want to have influence, if you want to say, okay, listen, I think we should do this project. I think we should put the money over here. I think I should be doing that task or whatever it might be. Even, you know, having lunch. Why don't we have Mexican or Italian or Japanese or right. Chinese, whatever. That is persuasion. That is influence. Now, in people's careers, bosses look for people who have influence, who've got persuasion power. That's 
And persuasion power is linked back to your ability to articulate clearly, succinctly what you believe. And so we are unlikely to put someone in charge of other people who speaks like this. I um, am, you know, that type of person who's lacking in confidence, can't be articulate, can't be concise, can't be persuasive, is not going to be given responsibility for other people. Right. So if you want to go anywhere in your career, then you need to have that capacity. I used to be umming and ahhing too. And I, I'm not making a joke of people when I did that before because I was like that. Sure. I think everybody starts that way. Yeah. Nobody's I, born a great public speaker. No. And I taught myself how to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not putting down people who've got that umming and ahhing. But that is the essence. If right. you want to get anywhere in your career, if you're in sales, you better be able to be articulate and persuasive. If you want to be a leader, you better be you know, articulate and persuasive. If you want to have influence. Right. No matter what it is. Well, it conveys to people so many things about who you are. Yeah. Are you organized? Do you have confidence? Your presence, communication skills, even leadership, like it or not, you will be judged on your presentation and public speaking ability. Absolutely. Positively and also negatively. Yep. You know, until the ages of about early 30s, I ran away from every possible opportunity to do public speaking because I was terrified of public speaking, terrified. It is said that the fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of death itself. (laughs) What are some quick tips or tricks to calm your nerves just before giving a public speech? Yeah, well, what's happening there is the the brain is picking up a sense of fear and it's sending adrenaline into your body. That starts to create a physical reaction that you cannot stop but you can control first of all you you start to heat up because the blood is pulsing it's moving from all the soft organs to the thighs and the shoulders and the arms for fight or flight that's why you feel a bit queasy in the stomach because all the blood's draining out of that's a bit strange feeling but it's a chemical reaction you can't control so you say oh that's why that's like that right and then you're getting a bit hot and your pulse is going up so you've got to get that pulse down again and calm down a bit and so If you're in a green room, there's no one else there, or you're backstage and people can't see you, really vigorous pacing, just up and down, up and down, just burn some of that high-pitched energy off. What I do is I ball up both of my fists as hard as I can, Mm. like you're trying to grip something. Like an isometric Yeah, exactly. And then I just breathe in and then out, and then I release my hands. Yeah, that one helps for me. That's good. That's good. And to then do some deep diaphragm breathing so not breathing from the upper part of right. the lungs but right down the lower part of the lungs on the diaphragm and slowly breathing is very important yeah but you've got to be careful because if you go a bit too hard with it you can become a bit dizzy so you've got to you've got to take that a bit slowly yeah but it does it does drop the pulse rate down this is very important only you know that you are feeling nervous only you know that you're not particularly confident and for that first couple of minutes when you start, that's the, the most dramatic, most uh, stressful part. And once you get past that and you keep going, then it tends to calm itself down right. for the rest of the presentation. But those first couple of minutes, you've really got to plan that well, have it organized well, and start well. Yeah. And never, ever apologize when you start. And in Japan, 
I'm terribly sorry. I couldn't prepare properly for this presentation. Oh, oh I'm terribly sorry. I'm feeling very <laughs> nervous about. Oh, Don't you, you, yes, you may yeah. not be well prepared. You may yeah. not be. You may not be feeling confident, but keep it to yourself. Right. Because as the audience, we're sitting there hoping for a professional presentation. Yeah. That's what we're here for. We're expecting that. Every audience wants the speaker to succeed. Exactly. Yeah. And if you make a mistake, well. Guess what? There's only one person, usually in that room, who knows you made a mistake, and that is you. Composure. Composure. Look like it's all part of the performance and part of the presentation and keep yeah. going. And if you do that, then we will buy your confidence. We will buy what you're selling. We'll buy your belief. We'll buy your persuasion, most happily. Wonderful. Well, I'm kind of a weird guy in that I actually enjoy public speaking and, and you are good at it well part of it is thanks to you greg story yeah, well, you were good at it before we uh, did any training together but you are good at it you thank, have got thank a you great for that facility I, in that i'm just swimming in your wake but <laughs> uh, you know full disclosure i have taken a couple private lessons from you to brush up and kind of hone my skills yep. before i had a couple very important presentations yep. but for people that still fear death more than public speaking how long would it take somebody to become confident and competent giving a public speech or a presentation through one of your Dale Carnegie courses? Two days. Really? Yeah, we have a particular program. The roots of this program go back to 1912. Wow. Which is where Dale Carnegie started. And so you can imagine the Kaizen, right? Sure. 108 years of Kaizen or whatever it is, 109 years. And this particular program, it has two instructors massive amounts of coaching. It's an incredibly safe environment. Uh, no critique. We don't allow critique. So we will ask for people watching the presentations to give feedback because that is how you learn watching other people. But we don't allow critique. So we ask people to say, well, what did you like about Andrew's presentation? Isn't that a critique? What did you like about it? No, that's a compliment. What did you like about it? I thought he did this well. I thought he did that well. And how could Andrew make it even better. So now Andrew gets additional feedback on how you could polish it and make it even better. It's all positive reinforcement. Okay. And when you've got people who are nervous about presenting and you, if you bring in critique, we just destroy people's confidence. So we don't do that. It's a very safe environment, no critique, lots of encouragement and lots of repetition and lots of coaching. And then with the video review, being able to see yourself and get the coaching at the same time. Yeah. And just two days of this, just completely repeat, 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 repeat. Two days. Oh. And how long is one one day? Oh, it's eight hours. Eight hours. So yeah. 16 hours. Yep. You are now ready to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, in yeah. front of the company. Oh, yeah. and yep. yep. Particular presentations you may be called upon to do and a structure for each of those. And particularly, this is just gold, is we teach you how to deal with Q&A. Because generally speaking, no one is rude enough to interrupt them. Most audiences, particularly in Japan anyway, will let you at least finish. But once it's like now we have, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever, so Q&A, we are now in a street fight. No rules. People can ask anything. They're completely off topic. They can go after you and what you said. Uh, they, can, they can be anything they like. You cannot control that. People who look pretty good in the first part get into Q&A and just go from hero to zero because they don't know how to deal with what's going on right. in that particular hostile environment, potentially. Because their presentation is scripted. Well, yes, you're in control. You're in control. 
I was giving a talk to, this actually was in Japanese, I was talking Japanese, and the questions, right? This, this lovely uh, older lady, she looked about, I don't know, 75, she was very well, very neat, very well dressed, petite, but extremely well put together, the makeup, the hair, the whole thing was fine, right? And she had a question. I said, yeah, please question, right? 15 minutes later, oh, she stopped talking. She gave her own speech. You yeah. Know? How long yeah. was your speech to begin with? Yeah, mine was only about 40 minutes or something. Okay. But she completely hijacked my speech. Now, as a speaker, you can't go over and, and tell Granny to sit down and shut up, you know. You've got to <laughs> be very polite and listen to what she's got to right. say and then try and get a few other questions. In her case, she was hijacking my speech. All right. But other people who are hostile, that can be very terrifying. They're mm-hmm. aggressive. Uh, they challenge you. And, and we teach how to deal with that. Yeah. And once you know how to deal with those situations, you are bulletproof. Yeah. Any place, any time, any topic, any audience, you are ready to go. You have no fear. What's one solution? If it's a hostile, yes. if it's a hostile question, a couple of key things. One is don't try and answer the question immediately because you get nervous. Mm-hmm. The thoughts that pop into your head you do not want popping out of your mouth because they are not the deepest, most refined possible answers to that question. We use a couple of techniques. We might have a pause. You buy a couple of seconds. We might ask you for a clarification of the question. Good one. Buy some more seconds. Answer a question with a we question. We might paraphrase what you said. For example, I'm making this up, Andrew, but imagine when you're in a company and... Uh, some of the, the teams say, Andrew, is it, is it true that because of COVID-19, 10% of the staff are going to lose their jobs by uh, April? You paraphrase and say, the question was about staffing. So you switch the intensity and the hostility out of the question through the paraphrase, and you take the temperature down. Nice. Then you put in what we call a cushion. It's a very important topic that we consider the structure of the company. Again, you're buying seconds. While you're buying these seconds, your brain is going down layer upon layer upon layer of sophistication of your reply. So by the time you get to the response, it is light years from the first thought that popped into your head when you got that question. But unfortunately, for most people, when they get that question, the first thing out of their mouth is the first thing that popped into their head. It's not refined enough. It's not calibrated enough. It's not considered enough. It's not articulate enough. And it's not good enough. So knowing that, you... Honestly, you are bulletproof. You have no fear. Right. You are standing there going, bring it on. Yeah. I don't care what you say. I've got the formula. I know how to handle this. And one other thing I suggest to people is the first six seconds, we're making eye contact. We, we suggest making eye contact with audiences for about six seconds, but individuals. Yeah. Look straight at that person who gave you that nasty, mean, hostile question. Look straight at them and begin the answer. And then talk to the rest of your audience, one by one, six seconds each, because often people only talk to the questioner and they ignore the rest of the audience. And you blank that person out. You give them no more eye contact at all. By ignoring them, you take their strength right down. You take them right out. But in your experience in Japan, 35 years, have you had that negative or that hostile audience member often? Internally in uh, companies I've worked for, yes. In a public environment, no, because this is Japan. Right. Uh, you might get a bit of a pointed question. But, you know, if you're in an internal meeting in the company and you've got sharp-elbowed sure. rivals and it's this could be, yeah. climb over your body 
to grasp the brass ring. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, that. But probably most severe audience in Japan are going to be foreigners for a right. start because they will speak up, you know. True. Golden advice. I love it. Greg, you have six different podcasts and you post nearly every day. I do, yeah. I gotta ask you, can there be too much content? Yeah, you know, this is interesting. I started one podcast. I was writing articles for the American Chamber Journal. This is seven years ago. Roberto DeVito was the editor at that time. He said, you know, Greg, you should do podcasts. I sort of vaguely had heard of podcasts. They sort of came up and then they sort of disappeared. And I said, Roberto, what's a podcast? And he said, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. And I thought about that. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And being a typical guy, I didn't read the manual. I'm trying to work it out myself. And <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah, I know. I don't need to read any manuals, right? As I, I started listening to other podcasts, and I came across this thing called content marketing, People said about, well, look, you should niche down because my podcast covered leadership, communications, sales, and presentation skills. In a genius move about four years ago, uh, I said, okay, well, I I should probably niche down. So I'll break out the sales one and I'll break out the uh, presentations one, thinking, oh, that won't be too much more work. (laughs) Big mistake. But once you start, right, you're on the tiger's back, you've got to keep going. So I kept on going. And then in August 2019, Google announced that using AI, in addition to text search, they were introducing voice search. And when I heard that, I said, oh, okay. Because I had a lot of video content, which has got an audio track in it. And I thought, well, I should make more of my audio content to get found by Google for search for SEO. So then I created podcasts from that video content to standalone to my shows. And then I got this idea about, I know everybody. I've got all these contacts. Right. And I've written this book on, you know, Japan business mastery. And it's, you know, I've, I know all these leaders. Wouldn't it be good instead of just having the book, if I could do interviews with all these top leaders about leading in Japan and how much benefit that would be to people. I probably don't do it as well as you do because you've got a fantastic voice for audio. You know, you've got a good-looking head for video, too. You've got the whole package. You've it's got the not whole, about the voice. It's about the, the content, you my the friend. You've got the whole thing. So I thought, well, okay, I will do that format in that particular instance. So I started doing that. And we've done, I think I'm up to episode 47 now. Wow. I subscribe to, I believe, almost all of your podcasts. Thank I you. really enjoy them. And the reason I asked that question is because I don't have enough time, time. To listen to every single one podcast, of your exactly. podcasts all the time. It's a little bit of a tsunami yeah. of this great information, and I get o- a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, I understand that. But it comes down to there are some people who don't have an interest in sales or leadership. Some are interested in leadership, but not the other two. Some are interested in sales, but not the other two. Some people couldn't care less about what the top presidents think about leading in Japan. It's horses for courses, and some people will have a particular area of interest which they will pursue. Sure. But I think in the end of the day, when Google's IT algorithm kicks in for search based on voice with 1,100 podcasts, I think Dale Carnegie Japan will be well-situated, well-placed to benefit from that particular new technology. I'm building for that. And so I remember watching Gary Vee's stuff that he said, you know, for years he did Wine Library once a week, him, camera, wine bottles, disguise, tasting. 
And no one was watching it. No one was watching it. But eventually they watched it. And he's now got a very successful business. He's a legend. He's just, yeah. everyone knows who Gary Vee is, basically. And I'm not Gary Vee. I don't have that degree of personality. I'm trying to take at least a part of a leaf out of his book. Well, you have a lot of his passion, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I'm passionate. That's true. That's true. Well, you have two best-selling books out. You can get them both on Amazon. Uh, your first one is Japan Sales Mastery, Lessons from 30 Years in Japan. And the second book, more recent, is Japan Business Mastery, What You Really Need to Know. These are fantastic books, Greg. You really put into words very well what I've experienced in Japan for 30 years doing business and doing sales, but I could not put them into words like you have, so well done, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. One question. Japan Sales Mastery is about 200 pages. Mm -hmm. Japan Business Mastery is about 100 pages. Does this mean that there's twice as much to learn about doing sales in Japan versus just doing business in Japan? The first one, I wanted to write a book on sales because we have a fantastic sales program. We needed to let more people know about it. This was a good way of illuminating the fact we have this sales training. That is a how-to book. It goes into great detail on many levels. Now, this book... Japan Business Mastery is a different book. This book is written for someone who doesn't know Japan, trying to get a general sense of the environment, right. how, things, how do things work here. Yeah. What I found, I go in to see a potential client, I bring Japan Sales Mastery. If it's you, for example, and I give it to you as a sales-oriented you know, leader, you're happy. Oh, great. Your eyes light up. You've got interest. But I'd give it to others who are presidents and their eyes wouldn't light up because they'd come up as an engineer or a CFO yeah. and they'd never been in that sales room. And I realized, oh, I'm not connecting with these guys on something that they're needing to know. And that gave me the inspiration to write this book. So I go into the meeting and I'm talking with them and then I suss out, okay, have they got a sales orientation or not? And you can tell that pretty quickly. Sure. If they don't have a sales orientation, I give them that book. If they've got a sales orientation, I give them that book. Japan Business Mastery is, you're right, it's a really nice overview of the Japanese business landscape. You also touch on a few of these cultural uh, aspects of like nemawashi yep. and omotenashi yep. and all yep. these type of things. Yep. Japan Sales Mastery, yep. on the other hand, I really, personally, I prefer. There are 38 chapters with tips and insights. And what I really like is the action steps summary at the end of each chapter. Even if you don't have enough time to read the whole book, just read the action points yes, at, true, at the end of true. each chapter and you will be golden. If you like Greg's podcast, you'll love the book. If you've read the book, you'll love the podcast. So they complement each other extremely well. Thank you. I hope you're going to get my new book, which is Japan Presentations Mastery, which is 81 chapters. Nice which will be coming out sometime, uh, first half of 2021, hopefully. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers 
and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. We all know getting a great sleep is important, and this is what Gugu is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu, better sleep, better you. Within my organization, we hold an internal sales conference once a year, and each staff member gives a brief PowerPoint presentation about their targets and how they intend to achieve those targets. Prior to the conference, I teach my team what I call the four elements of a successful presentation. I'd like to share these with you one at a time, and I'll ask your expert opinion about my four elements of a successful presentation. Are you down for that? I am hungry to hear your four elements. Bring it on. Number one. Well, actually, I'll give you the first two. Number one is content, and number two is slide design. Content, what I mean by that is, is it relevant? Is there a clear message? What's the topic of your presentation? And then slide design is, is it clear? Is it easy to read, etc. What say you about content and slide design? When we ask participants in our high-impact presentations course, what are the things you want to achieve from this course? By far, the number one desire is to be clear. They want to be clear, they want to be concise, they want to be valued, they want to have impact. That's usually the thing they talk about. So being clear is very, very important. And the slide design, right. as we know in Japan, it can be like 10 slides, but all the information is placed onto one <laughs> slide, so it's less than clear. I went to a, a presentation by a sort of mad scientist type He's in a particular high-tech area. Very smart guy. He's got a really successful company. Uh, terrific. Sharp. But his slide, oh, my God. It was like five different fonts, six different colors. Everything just jammed onto the one slide. It was impenetrable. And I thought to myself, wow, this guy is sort of a genius-level scientist. Psychedelics, baby. It's like, yeah, it's like an acid trip or something. Not that I've ever taken acid, but I presume that must be what it must look like. So yes, that's, that part of it I think is very important, the clarity, but what are the other two? Number three is presentation. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is how you transmit the message mm -hmm. from the slides through you mm -hmm. to your audience. Mm -hmm. The delivery. Well, number four is delivery. Oh, okay, what's the difference between the three and four then? Delivery is where being a skilled presenter come into play. Oh, it's, okay, the facilitation you know, the, the tone of the voice, okay. making right. eye contact, yeah. etc. They're, you're right. They are very similar. Mm. So presentation and delivery. Okay. I agree. I think they're all, that's a great four to choose. My recommendation would yeah. be. Give it to me. If you and I were going to craft a talk and say, say I was coaching you again, right? Say uh, you said to me, look, Greg, I've got a, I'm video conferencing my presentation to headquarters and all the, my peers from around the world for this year, Japan's results. I would start with, if we could write the punchline of your talk on a rice grain, what would we say? 
you mean reduce it down to like yeah. two words, three words, or one small phrase? One small short punchline sentence. What is the point? What is that one key message you want to get across? So first of all, determine that. Once you determine that, then you work backwards and say, okay, well, great. To prove that, what am I going to talk about in terms of context? And what am I going to give in terms of evidence to prove that the, what I'm saying is correct? A couple of points that are going to you know, be sections in the speech. About, and finally, design the opening. Because we are in the age of distraction. Yes. And we are in the era of cynicism. So audiences are distracted and cynical. So your first few moments with that audience are absolutely critical. Yeah. And you've got to get all of their attention. And the opening has to be designed to break through, break through all that distraction, grab their attention, and then open them up to listen to you. And you need storytelling. You know, in that construct around the context and the evidence, you need good storytelling to make it. Mm-hmm. You will remember a story which includes numbers much easier than you'll just remember raw numbers and data. Of course, of course. So, but most people don't do that. They come up with the raw statistics, they give the numbers, there's no stories, and they wonder why the content's not memorable, and it's a big opportunity squandered. So these are things that I would suggest to people when you're designing it, work backwards. Start with the punchline, then work out, okay, how am I going to prove that? What are the points I need to go through? Good. What's the context of that? What's the evidence? How am I going to open this so people are going to really listen to me yeah. and stick with me? We need to remember you because this is your professional and personal brand. And when Andrew gets up to talk, we judge how many people in your organization in Japan now? 300. We judge 300 people on you. And if you do a knock it out of the ballpark job, we think everybody down there are smart, capable, professional people. And if you're a dud... We think they're all duds. <laughs> we judge them all on the person yeah. we see. So when you're yeah. representing your company, it's true. you are representing the whole brand. Right. And your personal brand as well. You know? so, so that's these are things to consider when you get up there. What's your pet peeve when you see people give presentations? What I don't like is a lack of passion. I watched a this is a big resource company. Okay. I won't say which one. He was the uh, global boss of a huge division for this big resource company. The slides were well put together. Someone professionally had put those together for him. And he spoke in an even tone. And it was horrible. You mean like monotone? No passion. It wasn't a monotone, but there was no passion at all. Mm. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, wow, this guy's got the whole package. He's a good-looking guy. He's got beautifully dressed He's got the, you know, nice design for the mm-hmm. PowerPoint or the slide deck. And he speaks clearly, uh, slowly, all good, but zero passion. It was excruciating for me to sit there and watch that. It's like, oh, my God, you are killing the brand of your company. And you are flying around the world giving this presentation to multiple audiences, destroying the brand of your company and yourself because you've got no passion. You're not excited about it. Like Dale Carnegie had three rules. He said, we want you to be eager to share. We want you to be excited. And we want you to have earned the right. Now, earned the right means through study or experience, you know what you're talking about. If you've got those three ears, you've earned the right to talk on that subject, you're excited to share it with others, and you're eager 
to get the message out, then you will have the right combination. I like that. I like but that. many people don't have that. You mentioned it earlier. How does one become a better storyteller? I'm going to give you a formula. First of all, talk about the context of the story, the background. Draw an insight out from that story and then talk about the relevance of that story to the listener. So you talk about context, insight, relevance. Very simple formula. Context, C, insight, I, relevance, R, C-I-R. Now, if you have that in your mind, when you're telling a story, you're not just telling a story to tell a fairy tale. You're You're telling a story in business for a purpose. You start with context. You start with the background. And then you pull out an insight from that and why that would help us as a relevancy. It's disarming because you can disagree with my conclusion, but you can't disagree with my context because my context will come from my experience. Now, I draw certain conclusions from that experience and reality, which you might disagree with. That's fair enough. But the chances are, if I tell my story well enough, and we're not talking about half an hour, we're talking a couple of minutes max here, right? Sure. If I tell my story well enough, you are leaping ahead of me. As you hear the background, as you hear the context, your brain is going, well, we should do X. And when I get to the point where I say, we should do X, you go, that's right. You already got there ahead of me. Now I have your agreement. That is the beauty of storytelling. But people think storytelling is like half an hour. No, it's a few minutes. Everybody in our companies has got to be able to tell the story of their company in Japan. They've got to be able to tell the story of their products in Japan. That storytelling goes straight to credibility and it gives a context. So context, insight, relevance is a good, simple framework. And when we tell the story of Dale Carney in Japan, it's got to be under two minutes, 30 seconds. But it's got to be done in that max period because people's concentration spans can't take it. So it's got to be brief, concise. It's got to be rich. And it's got to lead people to a conclusion if you're telling a particular story for a point. Now, in that particular case, we're talking about credibility. Mm-hmm. Trust us. We've been around for a long time. Everything's localized. You know, we've got major clients. We can, you can do business with us, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Storytelling is giving you an opportunity to persuade people before they can disagree with you. I like it. And they get so much background, so much evidence, it's very hard to disagree with you at the end. I love it. Thank you. Let's move to sales. Hmm. You know much about sales? Well, I think there's uh, (laughs) a lot to know about sales, and I'm a student of sales, I have to say. I'm a constant student of sales because... We are both. Yeah, it's it's, it's a profession. But it's really an occupation that's occupied by amateurs, and dilettantes, you know, which is ridiculous right. because it's such an important occupation. So there's so much scope why for improvement. Why don't they teach sales in school? Why isn't there a class in high school or a class in university just called sales? Because sales is like persuasion. And it whether is. you're actually in a company trying to sell a product or a service, you're always trying to sell yourself in one way or another. Why don't they have a class called sales in school? Well, that's a good question. In 1939, Dale Carnegie pioneered public sales training, which didn't exist at that time. You had training if you're in a company that provided training, but if your company didn't provide training, you had no option. So he started that. We've been doing that since 39. But most people bump into sales as a profession by accident. 
they uh, don't think of it as a profession. They don't invest in it. The company doesn't invest in them. They don't invest in themselves. Sales is the easiest job in the world if you know what you're doing, and it's the hardest job in the world when you don't know what you're doing. And so for a lot of people, it's miserable and it's tough. And my first sales job was when I was 16, door-to-door selling Encyclopedia Britannica. The training I received was to memorise a 25-minute pitch and it was horrible. And I was horrible at 16. Who's going to buy an encyclopedia from a 16-year-old kid? I probably looked 13, you know. But, <laughs> and I was sort of gun-shy yeah. of sales after that. It was only later when I got the training that I realised I could do this. Yeah. Because before that, I had no confidence that I could sell anything. Because it kind of clicks. Once you start to learn some of the techniques of successful selling yeah. and how to sell yourself... It becomes more enjoyable and more fun. But here we are in the modern age. I'll give you an example. My phone rings. It's from Hong Kong. I thought it might be one of my Hong Kong colleagues calling me, so I take the call. He's an Englishman. He's speaking quite quickly. It slowly dawns on me this is a sales call about me investing in a Chinese electric car company. Where do I sign up? Exactly. So in this conversation, now I'm a sales trainer. I listen to the guy because sure. I'm, I'm interested. How is this guy going to sell me on parting with my dough over the phone for a Chinese company I've never heard of, never heard of his company either? There was never one question to me about my financial situation, my liquidity, my current portfolio, nothing. It was a complete pitch on me using them to broker shares to buy in this Chinese electric car company. It sounds one step above the Nigerian prince who has money that he wants to wire you. Slightly above, I'd say. Now, and I say to myself, honestly, Andrew, I say to myself, in this day and age, you can go on YouTube for free and get so much sales training. Our website, Japan, Dale County TV, has got tons of it. You can go and get a whole... You can buy books on... You got... I've got 226 episodes of the Sales Japan series podcast. I've published, yeah, a book called Japan Sales Mastery. You can get any amount of information you wish on how to do a better job in selling. So for me, why would that guy, and he was a a senior guy, his age, I could tell. He was not a 20-year-old guy. How could that guy get to that age and not have discovered that he needed to ask questions? Now, Japan's a bit interesting. I publish articles uh, for Forbes and I'm talking about selling to Japanese, why it's hard to sell to Japanese people. Now, in Japan, asking questions is not easy. And that's why most Japanese salespeople do pitches. They don't ask any questions because in Japan, the buyer is not king. The buyer in Japan is God. And God does not brook questions from salespeople. Thank you very much. Give me a pitch and I'll tell you what's wrong with it. But that's not the way to go. You need to have a little bit of a system for getting permission first in Japan from the buyer to ask questions. And that's not difficult. That's not difficult to do. Once you get permission, then you can understand. So, you know, Andrew, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue, right? I don't know that. And I start talking about our range in pink. And it's this wondrous pink, the best pink on the planet, awesome pink. You're sitting there thinking, I want blue. Now, I'm talking pink, you want blue. So how on earth do I know when I'm pitching what on earth you need? But if I ask you, what's your favorite color? You say blue. Do I talk about pink? 
You never hear about pink from me. You hear about blue until I've sold you all the blue you can buy. And then I might say, what about some other colors, you know? But that's a very simple equation to work out why pitching is such a hit and miss exercise and you shouldn't be doing it. But there are so many companies are out there going straight to the catalog, going straight to the data, you know, no, no benefits, straight to the features, no benefits, no questions. It's such a waste. I gave that example to you today because there are so many salespeople who are wasting valuable client-facing, or even screen doesn't matter, client-facing time by not using simple questioning techniques to understand what they need and then direct your answers to that and talk about the benefits, you know? With this pandemic, how will the sales process change in the future? It's really going to become so much more complex. Getting to a decision maker has always been difficult. In a normal world, we can generally find an opportunity to connect with a decision maker and have a business conversation. The first thing we all noticed was we're sitting at home and so are they. So how on earth do you expand in this environment beyond your current crop of existing clients? The answer is you don't. And that's been the problem for everybody. We have very limited ability to reach out to people and try and make new clients. It's been just abominable. But that is the cold calling part of the process. Yeah. That's just one part. So yeah. I totally agree with that. That's going to be extremely difficult. Yeah. That, was, that was getting more difficult even before. What about just existing clients, about new presentations, about new proposals? Further down the line, rather than cold calling, but just the general it's going to determine itself based on, your, based on the quality of your relationship with that client. But let's just talk about how you engage. Now, the beauty of COVID in a way is it's forced everybody online internally in their companies. So they have learnt to come online through whatever platform they're using. So they are in that environment. The problem, though, is how do you engage the buyer in that limited environment? What do I see? And I see people who put their laptop on their table, so they're getting the camera lens shooting up their nose. They have not got the camera lens adjusted to eye height. And they are talking 10 centimetres from the lens down onto the screen where the faces are instead of talking to the camera because that's what the person on the other end sure, sees. Sure. It's quite disconcerting, I know, but that's where yeah. you've got to be. No. And also, the screen, the medium of the screen robs your energy of about 20%. People who are... In, in television know they have to up the ante by about 20% when they're in front of a camera to have the same level of energy they'd have normally. Same so, with the big venue and giving presentations. Exactly. So you've got to up the ante on your energy. Plus, you've got to have uh, some means, again, like you do in a normal meeting, of, of establishing that human connection again. So small talk, you need to have that. And it should be something yeah. about them. You want them talking. You don't want to be talking. I mean, any rule in sales says that you should be talking 20% of the time max, they should be speaking 80% of the time. And if you hear yourself talking too much, shut up and ask a question. You want to start that meeting with an icebreaker about them, you know? Yeah. And I might ask some further follow-up questions and we start to warm the conversation up. And we're doing a a light conversation that's not about business, but it's sort of semi-business related, but you're doing the talking, not me. And then I, I can gauge your mood. I can gauge your concentration. I can gauge your feeling. I can get some sense of how you are today. And then I, I 
to bridge into uh, some business. But if you're dealing with their needs, if you're dealing with their uh, requirements, then the whole conversation is of interest to them. Golden advice. Exactly. What is your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have an exact English translation? Have you ever done any martial arts in Japan? I have. Which, what did you do? Karate, mm-hmm. Shorinji Kempo, and currently I'm doing Krav Maga, although that's not Japanese. That's Israeli, yeah. We don't count that one. So you will know the word Zanshin. That's my favorite word, Zanshin. Explain yeah. it as if you would explain it to your 13-year-old nephew back in Australia. Zan means to remain, nokoru, to remain. And shin, you could, you could write it as presence or spirit. So it, it means you have a resonance beyond your presence. In the martial arts, when you do a technique, when you strike the opponent, you don't turn your back and walk away. You don't drop your guard. You are still 100% concentrated on your opponent after the blow kick or punch or combination, it doesn't matter. That alertness, that is Zanshin. That is the true warrior who does not relax until the opponent has been completely neutralized. Presence of mind, that having that spirit remaining there, that energy is still there. So for me, I like that word because this month actually is the 50th anniversary of my starting karate training. Congratulations. Yeah, 50 this month. I started in 1971 in Brisbane. That changed my life completely. So that remained, the spirit of karate has remained with me. That was the zanshin of karate training took a very shy, poor, lacking in confidence, young man who had nothing going for him, was lost, and gave him the spirit to survive and to fight and to challenge. And that was me. So... Zanshin for me is a very key word. I love it. And I think we're going to leave it at that. Thank you, Greg, so much for your, your time today. I encourage anyone who wants to become competent and confident in presentations, in public speaking, and in leadership to take a look at Dale Carnegie Japan. Also look up Greg's story on LinkedIn. He has all of his links there and all the links to his podcast, all six of them. A lot of content there, but they are very worthwhile, as well as his books, Japan Business Mastery and Japan Sales Mastery. Thank you for your time today, Greg. Andrew, I admire your program, and it's a pleasure for me to be a guest on your program. Thank you very much. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you. All right, man. And that was Greg's story, your corporate coaching, leadership, sales, and presentations training guy. Learn more about all the incredible activities and services Greg offers at dalecarnegie.com, select location, Japan. Greg's LinkedIn profile also has tons of information and useful links. And don't forget his podcasts and his YouTube channel. Check that out at Japan Dale Carnegie TV. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed Now and Zen, please take 10 seconds to leave a rating or comment on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks, everyone.